Hey everyone, Cariad here with a quick message before this week's show. We wanted to let you know that we are working on new stories about people and the pandemic. But we also have some stories this season that were recorded long before any of us were talking about COVID-19 or social distancing. Our hope is that these stories might be a welcome escape from the news and a reminder that our lives were complex, rich and interesting before COVID-19 and they will be again when all of this is over. We worked really hard on them and we'll update you on how the people in them are doing whenever we can. We also want to know how you're doing, how you're coping or not coping, the good, the bad, the ugly. We want to share your stories too. You can record a voice memo on your phone and send it to neighborspodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message at 615-601-1411. You'll hear stories from other listeners right after the break, so stay tuned. It's been a really tough couple of weeks in Music City since our last episode aired. We lost two legendary artists, both Bill Withers and John Prine passed away. I think the reason it's been so hard to lose these two artists in particular is that not only was their songwriting and musicianship so important, but they just seemed like such good people. And I think collectively, we all just want to keep the good ones around for as long as we can. Something you might not know about Bill Withers is that he stepped away from the music industry in 1985, and he rarely appeared in public after that. When he did, it was often to draw attention to a cause that was very close to his heart. Bill Withers was a stutterer, and he worked closely with an organization called SAY, the Stuttering Association for the Young. Coincidentally, this week's story is about another musician who stutters, my dear friend J.P. Ruggieri. <laughs> You could feel yourself going to stutter a couple words before the word. It's like a tightness starts to happen. Things start to clench up a little bit. Almost like you're choking. Your brain kind of goes into panic mode. What are these people thinking? Are, are they going to laugh? Usually your eyes go down, uh, so you're wondering if they are laughing. Stutter. Stutter. I'm Jacob Lewis. And I'm Cariad Harmon. And you are listening to Neighbors. A show about what connects us. So for my first story for Neighbors, I wanted to introduce you to my dear friend JP. So here we go. Today's story, The Stuttering Paradox. When J.P. Ruggieri was a kid, his stutter was so severe he could hardly speak. I'm not exaggerating when I say that he couldn't make it through a sentence without getting stuck, and not just for a second or two. The longest stutter he ever had was over a minute long. He timed it. That's about the length of this story so far. Just think about that for a second. I'm very fluent right now. But, um, you know, I still have my moments where I have a really hard time talking. I feel it more when I'm around kids. If I'm around kids and I start to stutter, I think, oh, no, they're totally laughing at me, which is so funny because I'm an adult now. And it's like, but it's just the, it's just 
PTSD is what it is. JP is six foot five now, and even back in the fourth grade, he towered over the rest of the kids in class. Combine that with a stutter, and he may as well have had a target on his back. I remember kids laughing and then going, but, 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 you know, trying to mimic it in, in a not-so-friendly way. He kept his head down, but even the most antisocial kids have to talk in school sometimes. I guess the earliest memory that I have is just school presentations uh, being the big thing. Can you talk me through one of them? Yeah. Um, well, there were a lot of things I did to avoid them. He'd pull the sick card or run to the bathroom when it was his turn to read in class. Sometimes he'd cry so much that his parents wouldn't make him go to school at all. Once, for a project, he had to interview a police officer, and his dad went along with a video camera so JP wouldn't have to speak on his own. Later on, my dad went back and filmed me asking the questions at home, and we would, you know, do it multiple times and then edit in the the most fluent take of me asking the question and then switch over to the police officer's response. This was back uh, in the 90s, pre-iPhone. They had to record onto a second VHS machine to edit. When it was finally finished, the teacher brought in a VCR. You know, the rest of the kids would get up and do the presentation, and then I got up and popped a tape into the VHS player. And uh, not only that, but then it was edited together in a way that was clearly not normal. There was no good way around it. And I remember just crying a lot, you know. I remember crying at home and not having a lot of friends. JP's parents were determined to fix the problem, and they consulted every professional they could find. He saw a speech therapist in school. He went to private sessions after school. And by the time he was in seventh grade, he'd been in speech therapy for most of his life. We're going to learn some rules here. He'd spent hundreds of hours with specialists who focused almost entirely on mechanics and speech correction. The first word shall be the softest word in the sentence, not the loudest. With their help, he was determined to wipe out stuttering completely. He practiced vowels and syllables, corrected his breathing, and worked through blocks. They made real progress, but there was one big problem. Breathing and practicing vowels is all fine, and you could be fluent in a comfortable atmosphere, like when you're with your speech therapist, but then you get out in the real world, and it's a completely different thing. None of that stuff works. No matter how fluent he could be in private, in public, JP was just the same stuttering kid he'd always been. So when he wasn't able to avoid speaking altogether, he learned how to hide his stutter instead. I know if a person is a stutterer within 10 seconds of talking to them because I'm a master of the tricks. We all are. One of the tricks is changing the words, which I used to do all the time. There's another thing called fillers, which are ums and saying the word like to pause. So you put the word um in there, um, because. I've heard you do that. Yeah, right. So According to JP, the problem with this kind of avoidance is that it doesn't sound natural. It also doesn't work all the time. There are certain words you can't change, like your own name. My my name's, it's a hard name too, JP Ruggieri. I mean, what is that? 
There's so many vowels in that last name. On top of all that, That's trying so hard not to stutter is stressful. And stress, well, stress will make you stutter. When JP was 13, his parents heard about a treatment centre in New York City that was working with stutterers in an entirely new way. The American Institute for Stuttering offered a three-week immersion programme. So when school broke for the summer, JP's family signed him up. From the very first day, this was totally different to anything JP had tried before. They give you a sheet that says the pros of your stutter and the cons of your stutter. You have to write one thing, at least one thing down on the, on the, on the, on the pro side. The entire program was built around one radical idea. Perhaps the biggest problem wasn't JP's stutter at all. Maybe the real issue was the relationship he had with it. I was the only person in the, in the, in the class. I couldn't do it. I, just, I can't think of one thing that I like about this. For the very first time, JP began to question the idea that his stutter was the enemy. In fact, as crazy as it sounded, the key to not stuttering as much might just be allowing himself to stutter a little bit more. So it started with calling up random stores, you know, for just going down the phone book, asking what time they would close and stuttering. And sometimes I would just get blocked and hang up the phone, you know, t terrified. JP still worked with a therapist. He practiced breathing and slowed down his speech. But when stutters came up, they let them happen. They meditated, learned not to push. They practiced stuttering in public. After a couple of weeks, JP found the courage to do something quite extraordinary. All right. Ryan, will you describe what the subway challenge is? All right. The subway challenge is you get in the middle of a subway on, car and you tell the entire car that you're working, that you're, you're a stutter, you're working on your speech, and that you're do doing this so that you can become more comfortable. You're listening to a video from the American Institute for Stuttering. JP didn't record his challenge, but these are some kids from the same program. They've been building up to this moment for three weeks. What about you, Amon? Are you thinking about doing the subway challenge? Thinking and terrified. Okay, why are you terrified? Why wouldn't I be that terrified? If you did the subway challenge, you'd be terrified too. The okay. goal of the exercise is not so much not to stutter, but to speak in public, stuttering be damned. They're so giddy and nervous that the whole thing reminds me of that feeling you get when you're waiting in line to ride a roller coaster. Yes. I'm not ready. Are we ever ready? Can one ever truly prepare for the horrific experience? See, that's bad self-talk. It was the summertime, and it was hot, and my hands were sweaty, and, you know, your heart starts pounding, and you knew there was no turning back at that point. It's like you had to do it, you know? Probably what it feels like when you're skydiving for the first time, and you're up in the plane, and you're strapped to the instructor. Everything speeds up inside, you know? It's like you're on fast forward. For a stutterer, if everything's on fast forward, you're probably going to stutter. A million things are going through your head. You just feel really small and um, vulnerable, I think is a good way to describe the feeling. 
the subway car was packed and I opened up my mouth and just kind of took the the plunge. I stuttered my butt off and it felt so good. That was intense. I had a guy smiling at me, which was pretty nerve-wracking. For years, every time I went on the subway, I did the subway challenge even just on my own. I just had to do it. I got so hooked to the feeling of just being like, you know, I just want people to know, you know, here I am. The subway challenge wasn't a magic bullet. JP still stuttered. In fact, JP still stutters today. But something fundamental shifted in him after the Institute. Facing your fears is such a thing, you know, and the more you face them, the more you re- I should I should do this with cockroaches because I'm terrified of them. You know, it's like if I spend enough time around cockroaches, I wouldn't be freaked out of them anymore. And it's the same thing with stuttering. If I if I just don't avoid it, you know, which is what I did for so long, you don't stutter as much because you're not as scared of it. A few years later, when JP was applying to colleges, he began to worry that the stress of a new environment might set him back. He went to the Institute for one more immersion class, and at the end, he gave a speech. I asked JP if we could watch the video together. I haven't seen this in well over 10 years, so uh, we'll see this. I'm excited to watch this. All right, you ready? I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go. My name is JP Rajiri, and as you all know, I'm working on my speech. So if I sound a little slow to you, you now know why. For the first paragraph that I read you, I... A young JP is standing in the Institute office, reading from a sheet of paper. He looks confident and comfortable, and to show how far he's come, he's decided to drop the fluency tools they've taught him and speak the way he did when he first arrived. I'm sure you'll all be very patient, and I appreciate that. As trite as it, as it may sound, this program truly has changed my life in just three weeks. I feel like a completely new person. As JP watches himself stutter on screen, he leans forward in his chair and sighs. On the tape, his younger self has stopped smiling. He's not looking up at the faces in the room anymore. Instead, his eyes are pinned down onto the piece of paper in his hands. And then all of a sudden, on screen, 18-year-old JP changes gears. Okay. Now I'm going to turn on the tools. Everyone here has taught me one of the most important things in my life, to accept my stuttering. I was never able to do this before. The physical tools JP is using here were the key, but they couldn't work on their own. What really opened the door for him was something else entirely. To really move forward, JP had to accept the person that he was, stuttering and all. A speech pathologist put it this way. 
We react to the world not based on the truth of what's happening, but on our perception and beliefs about it. So if a person walks out of their house and they see something coiled up in the grass, they may believe it's a snake or they may believe it's a hose. JP used to see snakes everywhere. And then one day he woke up and all he sees are garden hoses. So we have transformed the neighbor's reverse complaint line into a way for you to call in and just check in. Sure, you can still let us know a story about why you like your neighbors, but Carrie and I also want this to be a way for you to just tell us what's going on during this crazy pandemic time with you and your world. Yes, tell us how you're staying connected with one another or how you're falling apart. You can describe the sounds you're hearing around you or something that's making you laugh right now or just how scared you are. Whatever it is we want to hear, you can record a voice memo on your phone and email it to neighborspodcast at gmail.com or you can call 615-601-1411. That's 615-601-1411. All right, let's check in on our neighbors and hear how they're doing. Hi, this is Garris Wimmer from Nashville. And uh, wow, what a month, huh? So on uh, March the... Third, we had a little tornado, which wiped out my car, which is not good because I'm an Uber driver. So my, one of my sources of income is driving, and my car was hit by trees. And then, um, but I'm also an actor and a singer, so I did still have some theater work going on. And uh, on Wednesday, after the tornado hit on Tuesday, I went and did what turned out to be the last show of that production because the whole run had to be canceled after that because schools closed because of the coronavirus. So now all of my streams of income are gone. Also, <laughs> my social life is pretty much tied up with what I do. You know, I see people in the Uber in the car all day or I see actors in, you know, my tribe at the theater. So this could be really problematic in so many ways. And, um, but the good thing is I live I live in the back end of a of a quarter acre garden, wild garden in Germantown. And I live in this apartment and help the woman in the main house who is elderly but but off the charts active and crazy and awesome. And I help her manage and take care of this garden. So all of this all of these interesting times have come about in spring and the garden is just coming to life. And so I've spent three or four hours a day gardening. If I sit too long and think about, you know, what am I going to do and think too far into the future, I will be lost. And um, I learned uh, early on that if you get your hands in the dirt and start making things grow and pulling up weeds and making things look beautiful, um, it just... It just brings me into the present moment and keeps me right in the moment. And that's just been the key for me getting through. And and I felt pretty balanced through this whole time. It's insane what's going on right now. It's really insane. But um, 
taking care of my friend in the main house and taking care of the garden and being of service to them and to that. It just gives me a great perspective and, and a greater, a bigger view of the world than just what my problems are. So that's what I do. Hello, neighbors. This is Hadassah from Nashville, Tennessee. And this has been a hard couple of days in our family. The reality of everything going on and how long it's going to go on, I think, is starting to sink in. I have three young children, and the amount of disruption that they've had in their lives has just been um, really un unimaginable and unthinkable. I work in theater with children, and typically we talk so much about community and about being there for each other and about walking through things together and breathing together and being together and feeling together, and none of those things are available to us in the ways that we're used to right now. And that's made me pretty angry. It's made me sad. It's made me very lonely, obviously. And the anger probably mostly results from feeling like it's pushing me to have to find an inner strength and an inner motivation and an inner resolve. And I don't like it. Hey neighbors, it's B here. Um, it's been up and down. Uh, I love being home and I love gardening and I love unstructured time. I do pretty well with that, but I feel emotionally constipated. Like there's just a big tear under everything right now. Um, so this morning I watched the John Krasinski's Good News video and Lin-Manuel Miranda and the whole cast of Hamilton gets on and sings Alexander Hamilton to a maybe like a 10-year-old girl and I cried so hard. Um, so I highly recommend that video as a, a catharsis. Um, yeah, thanks for your podcast. It is making my quarantine better. Um, hope you guys are Surviving everything okay. My name is Abby. Getting out of the house and going to the park has been just such a welcome respite after the tornado and everything, too. Everything's coming alive right now. Everything smells really good. So if you haven't been able to be outside, it's amazing. That's actually what I'm doing right now. Um... It's been weird though, right? I feel like I'm stuck in this limbo between stay off the internet, don't read the news, and I have to know what's going on, so I have to know the news. I don't know, it's confusing, isn't it? Yeah. I think we're all in this weird place together, which feels weird to endure something as a world like this together. That's kind of beautiful. Uh, I hope you guys stay well and they but together. Bye. Hey, we're going to end with one last call. This virus claimed one of Nashville's truest treasures this week. 
singer-songwriter John Prine passed away at 73 years old. So I reached out to my friend Bill, who I know is just a huge fan, and he had this to share. Hey, Jacob. It's Bill Eberly. Um, hope you're well. Um, full uh, or advanced warning, my, uh, my kids are obviously quarantined in our very small house, so I tried to pick the quietest spot, but sorry in advance for any kid noise. When I decided I wanted to move to Nashville, a major part of it was because I knew John Prine lived here. And I knew that he was a model of someone as a musician and songwriter that I wanted to emulate. Someone who seemed to kind of float beneath the radar on a, you know, on a mainstream level, but was was highly regarded and just seemed to do exactly what he wanted to do artistically. Um, so we moved down to Nashville from New York and a few weeks after we got here, uh, my wife happened to be out of town on a Saturday and I happened to be off work, which both things almost never happened, certainly not at the same time. And John Prine was playing at the Ryman and it was sold out. And I kept looking on Craigslist, kept looking on Craigslist, finally found someone who was selling a ticket because they said their girlfriend bailed met them in a parking lot. I bought an obstructive view seat and off I went. And it was really kind of like a dream come true. You know, I had, it was the first time at the Ryman. I'm seeing my hero, John Prine. And uh, I didn't know many people in Nashville, but my friend Steve, who I had met at work in the first few weeks here, he happened to be there and he said, you know, if you can't see from that seat, they'll let you stand up in the back of the Ryman. You know, you can just stand up in the balcony. And he also said, I have too much whiskey. Will you drink this for me? And um, so I stood up in the, ba- the balcony of the Ryman drinking free whiskey and watching John Prine. And just, it was like this moment that felt so faded. So many stars had aligned in just a few hours. And all of a sudden there I was. And it was really everything I could imagine. You know, he was in really good health and really good spirits. And it just was as close to perfect as I've ever gotten um, at a at a musical performance or at a live show. And the other thing I've been thinking about this morning, since I've been seeing so many friends post stories about him, is how Nashville prides itself on being a town that celebrities can live or country music singers can live and people will leave them alone in public. And John Prine, I always used to tell my wife, if I John Prine's the one person, if I see him in public, I'm going to go up and say something to him. And I've seen so many friends today post, you know, there was one time I saw John Prine at Arnold's or I saw John Prine at CVS and all of them seemed to say like, and I just went up to him and I said, hey, John. And every response was, hey, how's it going? You know, and they said, thanks for the music or whatever they said. And he was really kind um, in response to them. And I was thinking, what an interesting person because he's someone who is working artistically at the highest level but also had something so kind and approachable about him even in his art which I think is so rare and one of the things that made John Prine so special was he made some of the he wrote some of the greatest songs in the American songbook and also felt like someone that you could go up to and say hi and according to everyone who I've seen post about it he was someone who you could go up and say hi to and I think that's 
so unique and so special. You know, you see Reba at the grocery store and you think, I'm going to leave her alone. But you see John Prine and you think, I'm going to say hi and he's probably going to like it. So anyway, obviously today feeling pretty bummed out and listening to a lot of John Prine, but um, that's what I'm thinking about. All right. Thanks for reaching out. Take care. Thanks, Bill. And thank you, John. Nashville and the world miss you. If you recall from J.P. Ruggieri's story earlier about stuttering, J.P. is a musician. And the one time he never stuttered for sure, no matter what, was when he sang. So we're going to go out on one of J.P.'s songs called Prefer to Lose. shining as I stepped out from the alleyway Both my bags filled with regrets mm-hmm. I hailed the taxi and proceeded to make my getaway Doing the thing I do the best Some folks know If you'd like to share what you like about your neighbors, call 615-601-1411. Leave a message. You can find this number in the episode description and on our website, which you should check out at neighborspodcast.com. All right, we'd like to thank some of our patrons. Special thanks to Allison, Sebastian, Ben Lehman, Carolyn Martin, Cody Spriggs, Dan Burns, M. Bo, and Gina, don't know your last name. Griffin Bonham, uh, John Kessling, my boyfriend, thank you. Uh, Landon Reeves, Patrick Black, Ryan Arnett, Samuel Adams. Like the beer. Yes, and is he a... The beer comes from something American, right? He was a real person. <laughs> Did he ride around on a horse or something? Yeah, sure. <laughs> a lot of, we all rode horses. 
sign up for Patreon and get an ad-free version of the show and access to a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Our sonic logo is from Dallas Taylor at DeFacto Sound. Check out his podcast about sound called 20,000 Hertz. It is killer. Neighbors is hosted and produced by me. And me. Music is from the Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jacob Lewis. And I'm Carrie Ed Harmon. We're reminding you to, to get, get to, to know, know your, your neighbors. neighbors. I do.